I've always said that the best investment you can make in whiskey is to open it up and make memories with friends and share it because they didn't make the stuff to collect dust on your shelf. They made it to be drunk and enjoyed. And I don't consider this to be as much of a collection as a library because this way I have samples of stuff that's been released. Say, for instance, there might be an annual release of it. I've got samples going back several years so I can go back and do comparisons. Plus, anybody that comes to my house, if there's a bottle that they want to open, I'll open it. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Mark Gillespie, host and executive producer of Whiskey Cast and founding partner of Cask Strength Media. Now in its 17th year, and it is the world's longest running whiskey podcast series, which is enjoyed by listeners in more than 180 countries and has been produced on location in more than 15 different countries. Mark has developed WhiskeyCast into a worldwide online community, providing them with complete news coverage of the whiskey industry, along with photos, a calendar of upcoming whiskey events, in-depth interviews, tasting notes, and a complete archive of past podcast episodes. Mark is a veteran journalist with four decades of experience in broadcast and online journalism, and he was awarded Communicator of the Year honors in 2021's Whiskey Magazine Icons of Whiskey Awards. He has also been inducted into the Kentucky Distillers Association Order of the Writ for his contributions to whiskey focused journalism. In addition, he's been recognized for his work by the Society of Professional Journalists, the Spirited Awards, the Academy of Podcaster Awards, and the Drammies, just to name a few. Listen in for some great takeaways about Mark's journey from journalism to entrepreneur and for some whiskey recommendations that you may want to give a try. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Mark Gillespie today, the host and executive producer of Whiskey Cast and founding partner of Cash Strength Media. And Mark, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Our listeners know I'm a big Scotch whiskey fan, so I'm really excited and looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here and always happy to talk whiskey with anybody. I'm sure. So who wouldn't be? I mean, really, it's a great conversation piece. So beats real work. 100%. So in order to give our listeners an idea of who you are and what you're about, can you share with everyone your path, how you got to where you are today? Who is Mark Gillespie? Well, basically, my entire career has been in broadcast journalism, literally since the day I got out of high school. And about 17 years ago, in the summer of 2005, I started looking at podcasts. And back then, I posted a note on the Whiskey Magazine message boards. Uh, If you remember, message boards were the thing back then. I remember them. (laughs) And I said, if I produced a whiskey podcast, would you guys listen? And 17 people responded. One said yes, two said maybe, and the other 14 (laughs) said, what's a podcast? Right. A couple of months later, the company I was working for 
and producing all of our broadcast content for, got the bright idea that maybe we should explore this thing called podcasting. And I said, wait a second, before we put a company brand on the line, let's play with this a little bit. Let me play with it in a way that we're not going to put the company brand at risk and see what we're getting ourselves into. So I go ahead and decide to kick into, into action this idea that I'd been kicking around in the summer, took my audio gear to Whiskey Fest New York and did some interviews, came back and produced a couple of podcast episodes. And at that point, the folks on the message board said, oh, that's what you meant by a podcast. It's like a radio show. I said, yep, you get it, guys. So I kept producing them and then went back and told the bosses that, yes, we can do this. Here's what it's going to take. Here's what we're going to have to do at this end. Here's what the IT guys are going to have to do at their end to make this work. And so we started producing a small podcast. And then several months later, they decided to close my studio in New Jersey, stop producing our broadcast content, lay me off and move the studio to Washington and hire a kid at a third of my salary to produce the podcast. Wow. It happens. But I kept producing Whiskey Cast and then went on to work for uh, Bloomberg Television in New York as an editor while I was still producing the podcast for fun. And in the summer of uh, 2009, you may remember that as one of those summers we'd sort of like to forget, the uh, middle of the financial crisis. Right. I survived the first round of layoffs in Bloomberg company history. I did not survive the second. And as the severance ran out and Interviews were hard to come by because that was the time period where we lost about 100,000 media jobs across the country. Right. In addition to so many other jobs. And nobody was hiring, and I wasn't even getting... I got one interview in a year. And I was still producing the podcast and bringing in a little bit of revenue. And about the time the severance was running out, my wife and three daughters sat me down for the inevitable come-to-Jesus meeting, (laughs) where they said... This podcast thing has potential. Advertising revenue paid for most of my daughter's college education, my oldest daughter's education. And they said to me, you have a choice. You can go work at the grocery store since you're not getting any other jobs. Or you can keep producing this podcast, which we think has some potential, but you stink at the business side of things. So you're going to have to let mom take over the (laughs) sales and marketing side because that was her specialty. Small business consulting, marketing, sales. PR work. I had held on to this because I'm a control freak by nature. I want to control everything I'm doing. And so I said, okay, within three months, we had doubled our revenue. We were close to being sold out and everything was clicking. And I learned an important lesson from that, that sometimes if you hold on to something too tightly and don't know when to give up control, you wind up strangling it. And I was strangling it by not being willing to give up some control. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, it's been our full-time jobs. Uh, She is the managing director of Cask Strength Media, and I produce all the content for the most part. She handles the business side of things and then does some of the content as well. And then she also leads our consulting practice, where we uh, consult with brands occasionally from time to time and help them with product development. So you're an accidental entrepreneur, and it's turned into a family business, which is fantastic. Exactly. I hated the sales side of things. I was not good at it. She's far better at it than I am. Familiar with Dan Sullivan, strategic coach? I know a bunch of Dan Sullivans, but none of them are strategic coaches. You should take a look at Dan Sullivan and strategic coach. And one of the things that you're talking about that resonates with me that he speaks about very often is, 
who, not how, right? A lot of times as business owners, entrepreneurs, we're always thinking about how can I do this or how can I get this done more efficiently or more effectively? And sometimes it's better rather than figuring out how and learning that skill to find a who, somebody who already has that skill, aka your wife, and insert them in the business and have them take over that role and responsibility. And hopefully that'll propel your trajectory that much more quickly. So I think that uh, is a fine example of what you've kind of done here. I like that thinking because it also brings new ideas and a new perspective that I hadn't looked at. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, you started Whiskey Cast. It actually started in 05 is my understanding. And from what you just said, did you ever imagine that it would grow to where it is today? And just and maybe just also as akin to that, maybe give our listeners an idea of how many episodes you've had, what your following is at this point, so they understand the gravity of that question, by the way. Well, over 17 years, it'll be 17 years in November, and by the time November rolls around, we will have produced our 1,000th episode. Okay. And that's hours of content each week. Basically, there's been maybe two weeks in the past 17 years where we have not posted a new episode, and that's been because of illness both times. Wow. Where I was literally too sick to do it. One time it was after I'd come back from Australia and had the uh, kangaroo flu or something Mm -hmm. and just could not get out of bed for a week. And the second time was uh, last fall after I fell here at home and had a concussion, and I literally could not sit in front of the computer for more than five minutes at a time. And so we missed two weeks in 17 years. Amazing. So thousand episodes you're going to be uh, approaching on. Did you ever think back when you kind of started this thing that you'd ever be there and have the following that you have? Let me put this in perspective. (laughs) Throughout my entire broadcast journalism career, the longest I ever stayed in any one job with any one station was seven years. I've been doing this for 17. Amazing. Almost. Amazing. And I would change some things, but 99% of it I wouldn't change because I have the best job in the world. I get to drink whiskey and talk about whiskey with people who are like-minded, and it really transcends all political, cultural, any boundaries that you want to put up, whiskey can transcend them. Yeah, you've really created this community and as a result, had some amazing guests on your podcast. I mean, what's the most interesting thing that you've learned about the history of whiskey or or even just a well-known brand? Part of the fun about this is going back and digging into the history. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about this because a lot of people don't realize the impact that slavery had on the whiskey industry before the Civil War. Because many of the distilleries of that time, especially further south than Kentucky, and I'm talking in Tennessee and further south, the slaves were doing the distilling. And we don't really understand as much about that because most of the records have been lost to history. And only now are we starting to see with the uh, Uncle Nearest story, for instance. I learned about that recently. Amazing story. I never even knew that story behind it. I ended up, after I heard it, I went and bought a bottle. And it's very enjoyable. And I've had the privilege of having Fawn Weaver, the CEO of Uncle Nearest, on the show several times over the years. And that's really sort of kicked off a whole social phenomenon in terms of what that brand is doing to help uh, develop entrepreneurs of color within the whiskey industry. But it goes much farther than that because For instance, uh, Maryland, Virginia were big distilling states before the Civil War. 
George Washington had a distillery at Mount Vernon after he left the presidency. And it ran for a couple of years, but it used slave labor that he had enslaved men on the farm work at Mount Vernon working for him that were making that whiskey. And that was commonplace throughout the slave states during the pre-Civil War era. And as I said before, most of those records have been destroyed or were lost to history. So we don't know who those people, those early distillers were, except for folks like Nearest Green, right? where there were some records kept. And because of the fact that Jack Daniel carried that history on, and to this day, there's still a member of the Green family that's always been employed at Jack Daniels. That is a or at least one. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And thank you for sharing that. It's definitely had an impact. And it's very interesting going back that far to the origins as far as you possibly can, that there's records and historical people that could actually pass along that information. Now, I also follow you have a happy hour live webcast. How did that come to be? Was Where did that kind of stem from? That stemmed from COVID. <laughs> because in March of last year, March of 2020, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. we were looking at the landscape and realized that people were working from home and people were sitting around with nothing to do and needed content. And fortunately, I had all the equipment here to produce live web videos. So we decided to start doing a talk show. We did it a couple of times a week at first, and then it evolved into once a week, every Friday at 5 p.m., where I bring in people from around the whiskey industry, sometimes writers, sometimes distillers, blenders, people from all over. And we just sit on there on the webcast for an hour or so, have a couple of drinks and talk about whiskey and answer questions. And we have an audience literally around the world, people from Australia, New Zealand, the UK, all over Europe join us each week, in addition to the US and Canada. Uh, We've had people join us from South Africa that they just adjust for the time difference in their community. (laughs) Right. So that would have never, I think that would ever come to fruition had it not been for COVID. No. And here's the reason why. Before COVID, I had to do a lot of my interviews via phone, especially with folks over in Scotland where they didn't have good internet access, for instance, at a lot of the distilleries until COVID forced everybody into Zoom meetings Mm -hmm. or Microsoft Teams or Skype meetings and things like that. And all of a sudden, everybody suddenly had really good internet connectivity and webcams. So that made it easy to actually get people to join us for a live webcast before it would be me having to call them on the phone (laughs) and do a phone interview for the podcast. But all of a sudden, once everybody had connectivity and webcams and the ability to do live webcasts, that's when it became feasible. That's great. What an amazing way to bring your community together on a weekly basis. No agenda, really. Bring some educational opportunities and just mingling of, like you said earlier, like-minded people that are just looking to get together, have some enjoyment to maybe tell some stories, some jokes, and enjoy a great drink, great beverage, right? So let's talk about whiskey a little bit here, right? Okay. So let's talk about the beginner to start, right? Because every industry is looking for new people or people, I think some people have a tendency to be intimidated maybe by whiskey. So if I'm somebody who's looking to start and venture down the road of expanding my whiskey palate or even starting, where would you recommend that they start? It all depends on what you like to eat and what you've been drinking before. If you're switching, as I did from beer and wine when I first got into whiskey, then you take one path. If you're switching, say, from rum or tequila or other spirits, it's an easier transition to whiskey, I think. 
What I would like to start people out with is maybe an Irish or Canadian whiskey, largely because they're blended I would say a little smoother, and I hate using that term, but it really is an appropriate term in this case. They're not smoky for the most part. They're not, they don't have that peatiness to them that you might find, say, in a whiskey from Isla, or like most, or like many scotches are Mm -hmm. heavily peated or heavily spiced and have a big, robust flavor, especially on the single malt side. And then what I do with them is I start people at a 50 50 mix of whiskey and water. We'll put half an ounce of whiskey in a glass, half an ounce of water. Really? Yeah, that takes the alcohol strength down to where it's not overpowering. Generally, if it's a a bottling that's at 40 or 45% ABV, that'll knock it down into the 20s. Right. Which is much closer to wine and only a little stronger than a lot of beers. That way, they're still getting the flavor of the whiskey while not getting overpowered by it. I guess your feeling is that if they get overpowered by it, it would kind of turn them off and maybe they won't continue going down that road and exploring. Exactly. They get intimidated by it and they take that first sip or because we all, let's face it, most of us had experiences with whiskey or spirits in college where it was downing a shot. Right. Don't really that's taste not what it we're then. doing here. Yeah. We're yeah. sipping. <laughs> right. But you have to learn a whole new mindset and sipping it. Because we all have those memories, what we drank in college. Oh, there are still things I don't drink, Mark, because of college. (laughs) As as I'm sure many of our listeners are similar in that vein, and maybe yourself as well. And so I find that if you give somebody half ounce of whiskey, half ounce of water, they can pick out the flavors without getting overpowered by it. And then gradually, over time, you add less water. Right. The second glass, you might add just a, a few drops less. And you gradually work it until they're just adding just a few drops of water. And by then, at that point, you've created a whiskey lover. I think that's a great method, not one that I've heard before, but that's why I do this. I learn just as well. I'm at a point where I do virtually everything neat and people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, you know, I also drink coffee black because I actually like the taste and I like being able to enjoy everything that goes along with it without the impediments of water or ice. But I think that's a great tip on how to get somebody from not experiencing it to kind of gradually getting them to a point where they can understand and appreciate and continue to expand their palate in that direction. Yeah, For instance, if you gave somebody a glass of Laphroaig, very heavily peated Isla single malt scotch whiskey, as their very first exposure to whiskey, that's how you don't create a whiskey lover. Right. right. Because they're going to taste this and it's going to be like licking an ashtray. (laughs) And they're going to go, what in the heck is this? I don't want to touch this ever again. I have a couple of whiskeys that I like to recommend for beginners on the single malt side. Aberfeldy 12 is one of them. Highland Park 12, because they're both lighter whiskeys. The Highland Park will have a little bit of smokiness to it. But they're whiskeys that hold up well with water. Mm -hmm. Not all whiskeys do. Right. And I find that those are a couple of whiskeys that if you give those to somebody, then with that water, the 50-50 mix of water and whiskey, they'll take to it and they'll learn to like it. What's something that you would recommend if somebody, they've gone through that process, they've expanded their palate a little bit, what would be, they're they're enjoying that, what would be the next step up from there for somebody who's now acquired more of a taste for it? I would start with blended scotches, and a lot of people like to put down blends. I am not one of them. 
I like blends. I'm not the only one who's made this comparison, but I compare blends to a symphony <laughs> where all of the components, instruments, are playing together in harmony and unison, as opposed to a single malt, which is more like a good jazz soloist. Right. A uh, single malt can be anything from nice and smooth sax music to really out, out of the way Miles Davis trumpet. <laughs> And it can be anywhere across those, depending on that character of that instrument, of that distillery. But when you put them together in a blend, everybody has to work well together and play well together. And so you're going to get a much richer experience once you learn that and once you accept it. Blending is actually really tough to do and do it well. I've tried creating blends, and it is hard. Right. Because you not only have to take into account, you can create a blend that you like, but are those whiskeys going to be available in enough quantity to make it commercially marketable Right over and the just, long term? Can you get that whiskey and repeat it and make enough of this to make it a viable commercial option? Right. And just because you like two whiskeys as the standalone doesn't mean that together they're going to be better. It could be worse, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had some where they're so-called double malts where the folks at uh, Douglas Lang & Company did a, what they used to call a double-double, a double malt a few years ago, where they matched up, I believe if I remember right, and this has been probably over 10 years ago, so I may be off on this, but they put together single casks of Ardbeg from Isla and McAllen and blended them together, and it worked, but you couldn't just take any standard Ardbeg cask and any standard McAllen cask and make that work. Right. It was those two specific casks that worked well together. Right. Yeah, and it took a lot of trial and error to make that happen. It is complicated. So I, I got to ask you, what is your go-to whiskey and why? I get asked a variation of that a lot about what's my favorite whiskey. And my standard answer is I haven't found it yet. Do you have a well, go-to? I've got tasting notes on my, websites, on my website for over 3,300 different whiskeys. <laughs> there are, I think, nine of them that I've scored 98 points. Okay. That's, in my mind, a desert island dram, that if I've got to take one with me to a desert island, I'd be happy with any one of those. So I would sort of have to clarify that or categorize that as a go-to, but because I've got so many whiskeys that come in each week for me to taste so many new releases, I'm spending most of my time tasting new whiskeys each week <laughs> as opposed to going back and drinking old favorites. Right. Yeah, it's like there's a constant flow of new stuff. So, I mean, in theory, you could probably drink something new maybe every week, maybe even every day at this point, who knows, but definitely on a weekly basis and never taste the same thing ever again, you know? My wife and daughters nicknamed the UPS and the FedEx guys the Whiskey <laughs> Fairies years ago. Because, for instance, just today, before we started this interview, FedEx and UPS each dropped off a box. There you go. With samples in it. All and set for the weekend. That's a typical day. That's the probably the third and fourth ones this week alone. And I've got a backlog of probably, I'm looking at my table, oh, about 150 whiskeys <laughs> I need to taste. <laughs> got to get cracking there. So you leave me in. I've seen photos of your collection. It's very impressive. I'm working my way there. I Based upon the 150 bottle backlog, I don't know that I'll ever get there. But when did you start collecting and what is your personal most prized bottle? I don't consider myself to be a collector because collectors hope to eventually uh, reap some reward, I think, from their whiskeys. And most of the whiskeys I have were sent to me. Very few of, probably less than 10% of what I have here, I paid for. 
So nothing I have is for sale, period. Mm -hmm. I've always said I will not sell anything that somebody gave me as a sample. I think that's unethical and I wouldn't do it. And if I'm spending my own money for a whiskey, I'm not going to flip it. Right. If I'm buying it, it's because I want that bottle. You and I talked about that a little bit before we started recording here. I bought a bottle several years ago, a McAllen limited edition, and the store that I frequent, actually, he's been on the show, Andy from Prime Wine and Liquor. He said to me, he goes, are you going to drink this or keep this? I was like, what do you mean? He goes, most people buy this and they keep it in their collection and let it age. He said, I don't understand that. I said, I want to know what it tastes like. So if I like it, maybe I'll buy a second one and keep it in my collection. I don't know why, but so long story short is I drink it. I've drank probably about three quarters of that bottle. I have no desire to buy a second one because I'm like, what am I going to do? Just put it in the cabinet and look at it. I'm going to end up cracking yeah. it open and drinking it at some point. I think it's there to enjoy. Like I think you're alluding to as well. Exactly. I've always said that the best investment you can make in whiskey is to open it up and make memories with friends. I think that's poignant. Because they didn't make the stuff to collect dust on your shelf. They made it to be drunk and enjoyed. <laughs> and I don't consider this to be as much of a collection as a library. Okay. Because this way I have samples of stuff that's been released. Say, for instance, there might be an annual release of it. I've got samples going back several years, so I can go back and do comparisons <laughs> of how a current release stacks up against an older one. Right. And things like that. Plus, anybody that comes to my house, if there's a bottle that they want to open, I'll open it right. with maybe five exceptions. And those are bottles that I either filled at a distillery that I can't replace or that were signed by someone who's since passed on, a master distiller that... For instance, I'm looking at one right now that was signed by uh, the late Parker Bean from Heaven okay. Hill, yeah. a bottle of Parker's Heritage Collection. I can't replace that one. Those I might donate to charity auctions occasionally if there's a cause that I support and things like that. But th there's one bottle that I will never open. Right. The drum roll. And you're going to laugh because when you think about it, if I tell you it's a knock 12-year-old, that sounds pretty pedestrian. There's got to be some more to it, I think. Oh, there's more. <laughs> the story behind this is that several years ago, Anak was working with the New York-based illustrator Peter Arkel on a campaign called Your Anak Moment. And they ran a competition in which people could send in a photo of their Anak Moment, and then the winners would have their photo turned into a piece of artwork by Peter Arkel that would then go on the canister and the label of a bottle of a knock 12-year-old. And to seed this at the start, I was one of several writers that they contacted and said, would you be interested in participating in this? And I said, sure, why not? I liked the brand. They were, we were working with them at the time as a sponsor. So I said, sure. The first picture I sent them was a photo of me with my grandson, Hunter, after he'd been born and I was holding him for the very first time. And they said, uh, we can't use that one because we can't put babies on a whiskey label. Federal rules, basically. And I said, okay, I get that. So the next picture I sent them was of me laying in the hammock, a uh, photo that I had taken with my old sheepdog, Frizzle, jumping up in the hammock with her paws up in the hammock, sitting beside me. And they said, yeah, we can do that. So Peter took the photo, turned it into a label and a canister, had uh, balanced a bottle of Vinok on Frizz's head, and I've got a glass in my hand that I didn't have in the original picture. And they sent me that. And Frizz has since gone on to the great uh, puppy yard in the sky. But as long as I have that bottle, I still have a piece of her. Mm -hmm. And so that's one bottle. I can always get another bottle of a knock 12. I cannot get one with that label. 
So that's the that's the one I'll never open. That's uh, priceless. So I want to talk to you about the business a little bit sure. of distilleries, right? So there's been a huge expansion in the U.S. in terms of distilleries, I believe. And what do you see as the future for the industry? Do you see a continued expansion? Do you see it's getting saturated? What thoughts about that, about the business end of it? I think we're at a tipping point where you're about to see as much growth as we're going to see. I can look at the American Distilling Institute's weekly newsletter, and there's a little category down in the bottom left corner that gets bigger and bigger each week of distilleries that are up for sale of small craft distilleries where the owners have decided that they either need to cash out or close, and they're trying to cash out. That tells me that we've reached saturation point. Uh, We went from basically maybe a couple of hundred distilleries when I started the show to over 2,000 in the United States alone. And a lot of them are little small mom and pop operations that are making a few hundred barrels a year and selling what they can out of their distillery shop because they can't get distribution through a major distributor because they're not big enough and they're barely making ends meet. It's more of a hobby. hobby. Uh, Whiskey is one of those investments where you have to literally sit on your inventory for years before you can sell it to have a good chance of selling it. You don't see General Motors or Ford sitting on a car for three years before they sell it. But if you're a distiller, you've got to wait at least three years for that stuff to be any good or at least a year and Mm -hmm. a half. And If you sell it too young, people will not come back and buy a second bottle. So that's what scares me is that I think we're at a point where just as we're seeing a lot of distilleries that are celebrating their 10th anniversaries in business um, in the last couple of years, I think we're going to see a shakeout where we're going to see more and more distilleries going out of business. It's a shame, but I agree. I think we had this huge wave up and times I think it's a people are had this passion for it. So they thought, let me open up a distillery and they don't understand the business end and they don't have somebody like your wife who could take over the business end and kind of manage it and help it grow. And even if they did, there's a lot of additional challenges there, as you said, with the timing uh, that it takes from actually making, producing, distilling until you can actually sell and turn that into a revenue, right? Take the investment that you made and then turn it into revenue. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I got to tell you, I saw your new desk. Amazing. I know our listeners can't see it, but maybe we'll get a copy of in the show notes or put it alongside of the show itself. But can you tell our listeners about this desk, what it looks like, and is there a story behind its design well, and creation? I got to give the credit to the boss on this one because the desk was my combined <laughs> 60th birthday, 35th wedding anniversary, and Christmas present from her and the girls. They found a craftsperson in Ohio on Etsy that makes barrel furniture. (laughs) And so this desk is a barrel that's been cut in half and turned out 180 degrees. So it's two barrel halves side by side with a custom crafted top, a wrought iron bar rail along the bottom of it, a lockable drawer and shelving space and storage. And it replaces the old round glass bar table that I had been using at my office for a long time. But now I can sit at this as I'm doing right now and do all of my content. It's right. priceless. Priceless, right? That'll, that'll be another piece that I'm sure would never leave your possessions, I'm sure. I can barely move it myself. Yeah, so that's amazing. <laughs> well, that's a heck of a present. Heck of a milestone. 60 years old. Happy birthday. 35th wedding. You know, those are huge milestones. So congratulations on that. So what's up next for Mark Gillespie? What's the next big thing you have coming down the pike? 
Well, we'll be celebrating the 17th anniversary in November, trying to decide. We had actually planned for a big 15th anniversary celebration that we were going to do in London at the Whiskey Show. And, of course, COVID derailed all that. So what I'm trying to decide is what we do is a milestone to celebrate the 1,000th episode. And as we're recording this, and we're in the 940s range. So by the end of this year, we'll have to make a decision on how we're going to celebrate 1,000 shows. Right. These are good problems and good issues to solve, for sure. It's a testament to the staying power. And more importantly, what you and your wife and your family are doing. And probably even more importantly than that, the community that you've built, right? Because if we, had it not been or not for them, then you wouldn't have been right. able to last this long and continue to go so in the future. So that's a huge testament. So, Mark, it's been a pleasure learning more about whiskey and sharing this time with you. We end every show with asking each of our guests the same question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset. And we want to know, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I looked down at my dog, Bader the Wonder Puppy, the sheepadoodle that we got during the pandemic, who the other night put his paw through a window and cut a tendon and almost bled out before we got him to a vet hospital and got him patched up. And I look at him and see the joy that he has just existing on a day-to-day basis and realizing that we almost lost him. And no matter what the worst part of my day is I can look at him and play with him and instantly be rejuvenated and get back to uh, being happy and ready to go again. I love that. That's great. Our pets are so much right. more than pets, right? They're part of our families and part of the fabric of who we are. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate that story. So thank you for sharing. We're going to have all of your information in the show notes, Mark. But if people want to contact you, connect with you, learn more about Whiskey Cast, what's the easiest way in place for them to do that? Easiest way is to go to whiskeycast without the E dot com, W H I S K Y C A S T dot com. That has our complete archive of shows going all the way back to 2005. Uh, We also have the latest whiskey news. We have some cocktail recipes, uh, some ideas on how to cook with whiskey. We even have a complete list of whiskey-related pet names. If you need to find a name for a new arrival in the family, (laughs) we've got a list of those. Uh, We've got resources around uh, great whiskey bars if you're traveling or great liquor stores to check out if you're on the road, things like that. That's also got links to all of our social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just look for us at WhiskeyCast. Awesome. I think if nothing else for our listeners, if they got nothing else, even if they don't drink whiskey, it's so much more than just drinking whiskey. You could cook with it, which you may not like to drink it, but you could cook. There's so many things you can do with it. Use WhiskeyCast and use Mark, his family's company, as a resource because Listen, it might expand your palate and your experiences. So I thank you very much for your time today, Mark, and sharing this time with us and make it a great day. Thank you, Larry. I want to thank Mark Gillespie for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Mark took something he loved, whiskey, and created a career that would serve him well. He was an early adopter of podcasting, and he has certainly benefited, which is reflected by the growth of WhiskeyCast. Mark's entrepreneurial venture has created what most companies strive for, a connected and engaged community. Mark and WhiskeyCast can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. 
make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.